Thanks for tuning in to Make Money Count. This week, we have a featured guest, Ben Ferguson of Matt and Ben Toronto Real Estate Team from Remax Hallmark Realty Limited. Be sure to write us a review wherever you're listening on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to follow us along on the visuals, come join us on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash connect. If you enjoy the show, we'd love it if you told a friend. Word of mouth really is the best way to get us to new listeners. Once again, thanks for listening. Here's Marcus. Thank you for... Uh visiting us this episode of our podcast is gonna be a lot of fun i'm joined by my good buddy ben ferguson Hi, who Marcus. is who is an amazing real estate agent and has been for how many years uh i think our our uh, careers kind of mirror each other it's around 20 years yeah yeah i got hooked up with you many moons ago mark how amazing is that we've worked together for over 20 years it, it's been a while yeah man Lots of good times, lots of fun. And you know what? So what does that tell you? We've both been very successful in this real estate industry. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you? That maybe us hanging out together had something to do with that. Oh, I was going to say anybody could have made money in this business over the last 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know about that, but uh, certainly uh, our friendship as business partners at times has just kind of allies has been great yeah i love working with you yeah it's always uh you know when you get out of bed in the morning maybe you have a tough day when you when you're working with people that you that you trust and you like working with it's it's a difference maker yeah like every time you've ever phoned my phone i will smile that you're calling me same yeah same and you know what when we talk it feels like five minutes and then I look at the phone and it's been like 57 minutes. Yeah. I'm like, holy moly. Yeah. It's just, uh, that's what happens when you, when, you, when you like talking to someone. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it goes by quick. It goes by quick. And then there's the opposite does happen sometimes. Like with Evan? <laughs> no. no, no. We all love Evan. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a while. 20 years. Matt and I have been uh, selling real estate for and different team members uh, over that period but we've been consistent um as business partners and really for uh 20 years in real estate but then 10 years before that i was gonna ask you about we're talking about 30 years between the nightclub stuff and events and music and real estate and investing and it's been you know 30 plus years i love some of your stories about like picking up Carl Cox in Buffalo and like driving him. We almost need a podcast for just the old nightclub stories. Yeah. uh, Lots of, lots of fun times. And I think we made alliances in that period that kind of launched us in real estate that um, have been, yeah, maybe a launching pad for success just in terms of networking and friends and business skills, you know, Um, street business skills initially. And then kind of polishing it a little more. Have you noticed in like the 20 years that you've been in real estate, have, has, have things felt as weird as they feel right now? Um, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think there's been blips in the radar. It hasn't been all confidence the whole time. I mean, we've had times that money's just flying around like, there's no tomorrow and we've had times where people have been a little more cautious i would say they're more cautious than ever right now but um 
I see, I do see it as just a, a small kind of a small uh, blip in, in, in an otherwise strong real estate market. Um, Cause really we're driven by interest rates increasing so quickly. Here. That's, 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 that's everything else is good. The immigration, the desirability for people to live in Canada. I mean, people are talking about living here all over the world. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's, we're not going to, we're, we're, we're seeing a, a little bit of a, a period now where there's some caution and affordability is being, being, you know, attacked a, with a jackhammer. It is. And that's just, it's not that they can't, they don't want to buy. They have, they, 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 they can't. Our buyer pool is getting smaller and smaller and the move up people when they realize what happens with their interest rate that they're breaking are thinking, whoa. This attempt there's, there's a to lot make, of those phone calls coming to me. This attempt to make housing more affordable in Canada needs to get through a period where housing needs will be absolutely unaffordable. Right? Like yeah. there's no way interest rates can go down until interest rates really dramatically impact the economy. Yeah. Of right? course. Like there, yeah. we need to I was explaining this. Um, I had a, din- a lunch with a buddy of mine who's in the mortgage business, like has a big fund. And I was like, the way I kind of started thinking about it now was like the Bank of Canada made a decision to shoot the economy. Like they got a gun and they were like, okay, economy, I'm going to shoot you. Because they saw inflation as more important. Because they were so worried about yeah. inflation. Let's, yeah. Which it is an important consideration, right. obviously. And they were like, they, they want the economy to lose a certain amount of blood and they want the blood pressure to reach a certain level. And like, it needs to be, it needs to hit a certain, certain metrics of dire in order for the Bank of Canada to bring their patient back to life. And the only good thing about it is that like, if someone's going to get shot, the best place for them to get shot is like in the operating room of the hospital. I mean, moving in, yeah, moving inflation down is obviously a good thing, but maybe this it did have to happen, but it's too fast, isn't it? So I mean, too fast and too much. That will only we'll only know that after, right? It's like a science experiment, really, right? right. So, it's a, but I think it's like a science experiment that is was created from the last science experiment. Mm-hmm. Like we tried a science experiment by attempting like shutting an economy down and giving everybody universal basic income, pumping money into the economy for COVID. That was the first science experiment. Yes. And the result of it, we thought the result of it was going to be like this beautiful, smooth sailing back into an open and normalized economy. But the actual result was inflation. Now Mm. we're trying another science experiment to get rid of the inflation. Yeah. In a short period, if you just Google back and you just, read stuff from earlier this year, you know, the Benjamin Talls of the world. These are, they were saying that there was no way they thought this was going to be necessary to have this, this much pain, pain in this short of a period earlier this year. Matt, do you want to put the chart up? I had sent Matt a chart earlier. Um, just show, like, it's, it's just that this, it so dramatically shows how high mortgage rates have gotten in such a short period of time. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, you know, like we're, and we're going higher. Um, you think that's likely? Well, I think uh, the, 
Federal Reserve just increased 50 basis points today. And the their commentary is that the federal funds rate probably has another 1% to go. And I don't know that necessarily the Bank of Canada is going to move in lockstep with the Federal Reserve, but, you know, certainly pretty close. Like all the G7 countries are certainly kind of have banded together to attack inflation, to address inflation. Um, So I think, you know, we probably are going to see, you know, at least 50 basis points of additional tightening here. I hope there is no more than that. Like the, the real problem, like when we talk about like, I like to think that everything is going to be fine. Yes. Right? Um, and it is. And everything will be fine. Yes. Um, it, it will it's, be. Yeah. It is the amount of time that things will be painful for that, I, that, that stresses me out. So like this, these increases in interest rates haven't been really felt yet. Like the people that it's are twelve months to kind of shake yeah. them because they've got they've got their rate holds and for it to work its way through the economy. Yeah. Anytime they anytime monetary policy changes, it takes twelve to eighteen months for people to feel it. Like we've had so many central bankers tell us, explain to us the general populace what monetary policy does. We had Stephen Polos, the guy that was before Tiff Macklin was like would tell us. Right now, there's so much debt that a smaller move in the overnight rate or the prime rate creates a more dramatic impact on the economy. Then we're told that any impact on the economy isn't felt until 12 to 18 months later. Well, we just went through the largest percentage increases in our overnight rate that we've ever seen. Mm -hmm in a period of time that we've been told you can't measure the impact on. So I think at, at the very least, I think it's kind of agreed upon that the first kind of six months of 2023 are going to be about like the more, more of the same. But we saw November, we didn't see prices decrease. Um, they can stay about 1% decrease or something. Right. So the bleeding had kind of stopped. Yeah. Things had kind of settled in a bit. Um, but I think, you know, focusing on, there's so, there's so many people, if you're on Twitter and you're kind of reading, reading the, the, the world's ending. And I think we can po- look at the positive parts here is that all the underlying stuff, not other than the interest rate increase is good. The underlying fundamentals are good. And I think that we're going to look at, I think we're going to see interest rates can go down, not to where they were. That was... I mean, I don't know where your thoughts are on that, but that's probably that we may not see that in our lifetime again, like as low as they went. I think if we do, it's because we go into a bad recession. Right. Right. I think, I think we should all hope that we see 150, maybe two percentage points come off of rates, like off of the prime rate. So like, you know, think about a prime rate that's between four and five. Right. Not seven. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the more dramatic the drop is after the fact, like today, the Federal Reserve came out and they announced 50 basis points of tightening. And the result was the market priced in a hundred basis points of easing in 2024. Right. Right. Like this inverted bond yield curve of having two year treasuries so much higher than 10 year treasuries 
is basically like the bond market telling whoever whoever wants to pay attention that they believe that these high rates are just simply not sustainable for any extended period of time. Right. And then the more inverted it goes, so like the bigger the differential between the two and the 10, the more of a warning sign it's flashing, right? Like, hey, you know, this is causing real, this will cause real damage. But what I can speak of as being in the real estate trenches and, uh, and where I, my thoughts are that when interest rates start to pull back, we're going to see a real estate rebound quickly. So we're in a we're in a, a time now that you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. You can you can shop for a home, you can negotiate a good price, and then you can enjoy lower interest rates on the back end of your of your you know first five years. Right? You're yeah. gonna ha- you're gonna have you're gonna have uh, a period of time there where you're gonna have higher rates. But if you're buying, you know, a two million dollar house for one five, I mean, who cares? You can absorb if you've the got rate. A couple of years of a higher variable rate mortgage, yeah, and and then you're a point, point and a half down in in, in a couple of years, you know. You're, well, net present value being zero, you just you just earn five percentage points every year. It's a yeah. Right? So you just bought your your place for five hundred grand less. You can afford an extra hundred thousand dollars every single year. Yeah, to pay an interest for five years. So and, until properties restart. Yeah, because so, if you look at everything else and going back to kind of looking at the positive things, is that is that there is a housing crisis. There are not enough homes. Immigration is is peaking. These people need a place to live. Um, you know, and I, I think everything will be good. We just got to sharpen our pencils, watch our watch our uh, um, expenses. And make intelligent decisions, like informed, intelligent decisions. So what would you say to somebody that comes to you and they're like, okay, listen, I want you to do a listing presentation. Right. And I got to get this property out on the market as soon as possible because I am drowning in my variable rate mortgage and the credit card debt that I have accumulated because of the additional money that I'm pouring into my variable rate mortgage. What yeah, I mean, it's a case-by-case basis, right? The rent rental market's flying. It may, may make more sense for that person to keep that property and put a tenant in it for a couple of years and then reevaluate when the tenant's on their way out. That's why you're the best. Well, I mean, it because is you're it is. like, un, you are genuinely unbiased with your clients. Like connect. We pride ourselves on being unbiased with our clients. Yes. You are genuinely like if you were to I, like, I knew, I knew you would answer this way. Cause like genuinely, if somebody gave you that story, you wouldn't fear monger them into selling the property. You would say, listen, like, Right now is probably the worst time to sell, mm-hmm. right? It and might it get. I mean, you can't, and, right. and, and, and it may mean that you're 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 giving the sale an attempt and see to see what happens. To see, there's less fish in the sea for sure, but there are fish, and it also depends the type of product that you have to sell. And what's the worst thing to sell right now? Well, I mean, I think in in you know, kind of uh, downtown urban communities, um, you know, well finished product is selling selling well not in the high luxury price point i mean that's that's slower for sure and we have to keep that in mind when we look at price decreases is there's so few trading at really high prices that the ones that are like in the under two million dollar world their decreases are a lot less that's interesting yeah yeah benjamin tall pointed that out like 
so much stuff. Oh, well, you're like buddies with Benjamin Tony. No, I mean, I just, like. we just went to a thing and he was speaking and then I looked at his stuff afterwards and it's, no, not buddies with him, but I have the same name. <laughs> I like the way Tal? he breaks down things. <laughs> <laughs> no, my middle name isn't Tal. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, there's so I like his few. thick Israeli accent. He's he's good at breaking down. Yeah, no, he's things good. He's for, good. For yeah. people for sure. It's usually the the end with a bit of levity and uh, you know the necessary things to kind of string people along to stay interested in finance talk for long periods. You do the same actually. You and Benjamin with, for lunch with remarkably less knowledge, <laughs> <laughs> different knowledge, not less, and maybe a little more street skills. Maybe maybe smarts, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the way less expensive homes. When way less expensive homes sell on the luxury side of things, and then we're looking at the data in a broad spectrum, we're seeing, you know, price decreases that are that are that are um, really probably less in in lower prices. Um, so to answer your question, what's harder stuff to sell? Um, you know, the communities that we mostly focus on more urban. Um, there's lots of sellable products still. If it's finished right, the market is less forgiving. Stuff that's not finished or speculative type, right? Is that's a great time to be buying that stuff. Yeah, you're cash heavy. You can pick up some stuff and fix it up because that the speculative stuff, the flippers, developers, small. There's yeah, that's sitting. Nice stuff. I mean, there's still people shopping for nice stuff, and. Uh, you know, you you can you can sell. You just have to make a, a kind of informed decision on, um, you know, each on an individual basis, case by case basis, to figure out what your best strategy is. I wonder if it's a good thing or a bad thing how the year over year sales volume has dropped so much. Yeah, part of me says like, well, this is a good thing because. People that were subjected to the stress test and are maybe not comfortable with the amount of money that they're spending in interest, but are capable of maintaining those interest payments, aren't entering a market when they don't need to. Like they don't want to port a mortgage. They don't, you know, want to move. Like you're talking about transactions. Yeah. Transactions, not prices. I mean, you had the year before you had a super high flying year. That was the most ever. Transaction. Was it really? Or up there. Okay. And so you're comparing, it's like you're comparing to a year like that. If you go back a few more years, you're going to get to numbers that are closer. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not really a fair comparison because it was really kind of like. I, but this past 2022 was like, or at the second half of 2022, it was like months were being printed that were like, 20 year lows of you're, you're transactions. Right. Because right? I know it, year over year, it's, 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 uh, there is, it was busy the early part of this year. So if you take the aggregate of the year, you're, you're in better shape than if you start looking at that. This, the last half of the year. You're right. Right. Last half. But I just, again, I wonder that we know that there's a finite timeline to rate hikes, right? Like we know that. There is an objective. The objective is there's some really cool stuff that I've read that's all kind of uh, all works together quite well, I would say. So we know that the objective is to eliminate inflation. In order to eliminate inflation, you got to take money out of people's wallets and prevent them from being able to spend it 
you got to make sure that um, the labor market isn't as tight as it is right now. So you have more people trying to find work. So more people can be employed and the labor market can loosen. And uh, the idea now is when we reach that point of that pain being felt in the market, the central bank will come out and say, we're done increasing interest rates. We've done our job. And at this point, we're going to look to stabilize the economy by perhaps a rate drop in the coming months. That's the moment when people are going to be flooding back into the real estate market and they're going to have confidence to make buying decisions. Everyone's going to be taking a variable rate mortgage. They're going to be watching their rates drop. I I would say that, yeah, I would agree with that. But I would also think that there's people that have just the affordability isn't there. It's not a choice right now. Mm-hmm. When they actually do the do the numbers, that they can't get an approval based on where we're at, like an eight or when they bre- or when they're breaking their current mortgage, it makes no sense, right? Because they're sitting on a two and a half percent, and they want to upgrade to a four bedroom house from a three bedroom, yeah, and then they call my friend Marcus, and he says, "Well, break, yeah, you know what's going to happen to your payments, yeah. so it's." more about that, in my opinion, than the confidence in Toronto real estate. And I can only speak from my my little world here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I think things can be worse outside the city. I think there's, um, you know, of course I should stay away from tw- Twitter and stuff sometimes, but like there's people complaining that they've bought pre-construction for too expensive and picketing in Brampton. Oh, really? Yeah. Like lots of that kind of stuff happening. And people that have bought pre-construction on the luxury side of things at really high per square foot pricing, like that makes me nervous. Like $2,500 a foot. Not my client. Like I was going to ask you. We never guide people. So I wanted to ask you about that. Like there are buildings like that one to one. Yes. Or like some of this, some of these Yorkville developments where like prices were like close to 3000 bucks a foot. Appraisal is going to become an issue. And I mean, that's what these people are picketing in Brampton that they've, bought a townhouse at Chinkuzi and something or other for towards $2 million and they're getting appraisals, um, you know, for whatever one five or I'm just guessing, but they can't close. Same problem. There's yeah. These people, there's a lot of people that are not going to be able to close unless maybe the developers in the financial position to give them a second, which unfortunately they simply are not. You don't like, think so. I, I don't th- like, I don't, how can you possibly leave too much? I know there's too much. Like um, not every developer has unlimited capital at zero percent interest. No, right? I know, I know. They'd have to get if it was a small gap, it would be one thing. But they're probably running things, knowing where development levies are and and uh, how how much money they have, um, how thin their profit margin is with everything. They're probably running on not enough meat there to be able to be like, oh, you're two fifty short. We'll give you a second at five percent or something. Like it's probably like that's what I was thinking. A five percent second is lower. It's like below prime. So what? So what's? So if you've sold out a development in Brampton and no one can close, there's a hundred of them, Mm -hmm. and I don't know when it closes, and I don't know all the minor details. And again, I should say that I should stay away from Twitter because these are the people that make you think the sky's falling, and I don't think it is right at all. I think. uh, I'm actually here to maybe make a public service announcement that everything's going to be okay. Nice. We're going to get through this. But um, when, when a, exactly? When, uh, let's uh, make a record. Let's make a call. 
When do you think we will say, it's all over? When? What date? Specific date I'm looking for. When will we? The day. When we, you and I will go out for lunch. Yeah. Maybe dinner. With champagne. Maybe dinner. And say we're, and interest rates are starting to come down. Yes. Half a point or three quarters of a point. We've never actually had like champagne together. Not a big champagne guy. No. Are you a big champagne guy? What do we maybe at um, Barbarian or something? Did we go there and drink? No, oh, red wine. wine. We maybe wine, drink yeah. some red wine. We, oh, yeah. usually we have a couple of beers. Yeah, I feel I think like so. Anyways, or maybe red wine there. Yeah. Um, I well, I think next. I think like a year from now, we'll be in a better position. One year, don't you? Uh, listen, for sure. I think one year from now. Yes. I think that we probably have confidence sooner than one year from now. Like I think. I think that like, I, mean, I'm out. I, who, I don't know. I think what we're going to see is it's going to get a little worse. It's going to get a little tighter. Things are going to get a little more difficult. And at that point, then things will get better. Because I think that part of this is a psychological game. I read this Bank of Montreal report the other day, which was like, many Canadians are anticipating the rates to drop soon. And that is exactly why they can't drop soon. Hmm. And I liked it. I was yeah. like, that's a good quote. Like sometimes yeah. these economists have these great quotes. I, that wasn't the exact quote, but it, mm-hmm. it was close to that. So it's, it is a psychological game, right? Well, there's a confidence thing. And I wasn't saying there wasn't when I said the affordability. And it's obviously there's a bunch of different positions people are in. Yeah. And of course, confidence plays a role. But the biggest, the biggest impact will be supply. It'll be on the supply side. both. The biggest, uh, the biggest contributor to the problem and the biggest contributor to the solution. So the biggest contributor to the problem is going to be how much damage are we not properly quantifying that we're inflicting upon homeowners right now? The guys that are holding on, the guys and gals, the families that this is not easy for. Like the, psychologically, that they bought in the last like few years, three years, and uh, yes, and psychologically drained, but anxiety when those renewals come up. And I, they have to be looking at, I mean, of course, there's an emphasis on inflation, but there has to be a consideration also as, as these mortgage renewals come up, if people are going to just basically throw the keys in the air and just say, Listen, if this goes on this. for another year, we will have effectively, a, we will have effectively changed housing affordability for like 80% of homeowners. Those that are in a variable rate mortgage, instantaneous. and all of these people that have gone through, the, uh, that have a five-year fixed or less, that are being forced to renew in the next year or two, right? Like mm-hmm. We're affecting it. We've affected it for the last year for everybody. We're going to affect them for another year. So we've got all the variable rate guys and gals, and then we've got a great percentage of the five-year fixed. There's a chart that I was looking at that's like, it's close to like 75, 80% of the total mortgage volume that's going to have to reset at this point. And the other thing is you think that it's all five-year fixed rate mortgages and that it would be evenly distributed between years one through five. Yeah. But 75% of all mortgages in Canada break before year five anyways, because people need money. But what percentage of people have variable and what percentage are fixed? It's Canada is, is much higher on the fixed side than on the variable side. Okay. Like, I don't. I don't want to say seventy thirty for sure, but pretty close. And then to the average term length is what five years, three and three to five years. Or? But but the average actual term length is something like three point five years. 
So we can expect because that, that broken because people breaking them yeah. because they move or they need capital. So now you've got to kind of heuristically model that the impact on extending the average life of a five-year fixed rate mortgage. I know that sounds funny, but like five-year fixed rate mortgage average life right now is probably closer to three and a half years. So what it what are we going to push that out to? Maybe four, like maybe the the percentage of people who will not break to move or break to refinance will increase, thereby extending out the kind of average lifespan of a five-year fixed rate mortgage. Mm-hmm. But it, this all going to say that it's the supply issue. It's if we get too many people that say that will break those five years, but they'll break them because they're selling. They'll break them because their credit. The, the amount that they're carrying in credit is they, too high. They can't afford it. Listen, psychologically, the erosion of your equity, if you're watching that happen and you're like, okay, what's my time horizon? I would say like for us, the number one thing that people are concerned about right now is how much longer do I have to cover these bills? How much longer do I need to pay these higher interest rates? How much longer do I need to watch the erosion of my equity? Or until I have to sell. Well, we certainly haven't seen panic selling yet. in the urban communities at all. Right. Like zero. So the hope there, is... There's no, there's no supply. Right. Prices have come down, but there's not much good supply out there. Right. So I think people know in their hearts that they're sitting on something good. They're holding on. But yeah. And they know so the, the demand is there. The rental... First of all, the right. rental mar- market, the rent increase shows us how hot the demand is still to live in Toronto. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, because that's a, that's, that's a great measure. Like these are people that would probably be buying. Um, they're pushed into that market because of the interest rates. So we know the demand is there. We know they want to live in Toronto. <laughs> the interest rates are a short-term, um, you know, slowdown, stalling of them getting into the home that they want to own, and it will turn around as fast as it. Uh, uh, in the other direction as fast as it went down. It's just the drop is going to be dictated by how much excess supply hits the market when people make a decision that they can't hold on. And the pivot in rates will will happen faster the sooner a little bit of that supply hits the market. Yeah. So like it's like we're holding up the gates right now of like, listen, market still has to move, right? So when we see a year-over-year drop in activity like we saw the last six months of 2022 that activity has to come back into the market in some way and hopefully it comes back in in a limited way we will see a further reduction in pricing i think but the moment that happens is when we'll get some stability on where rates are going to be until then we're going to keep seeing federal reserve governors and central bank governors coming out and saying we still haven't tackled inflation fully yet. We're going to give another. Tw- we're going to throw another twenty-five basis points on top of the rate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's the. So that's the supply part now that we're going to worry about. Just how mitigated is it going to be? How much can people hold on? And I mean, the ideal situation is, it just decimates consumer spending. Ideally, and Canadians are very much like this, right? Like Canadians are smart and they are conservative, and they realize the importance of that of the home, and they will avoid paying everything else, and they'll continue to pay for the house. And when you're talking about Toronto specifically, we're not adding any freehold. So if the conversation moves to type of product. I got to take my jacket off. The type of product, I mean, again, it the luxury condo market kind of concerns me. 
There's a fair amount coming online. There's a fair amount of people that paid a lot of money for luxury condos, pre-construction. But when you talk about freehold, there's, we're not adding any supply. There's the odd time here and there you get a severed lot, like Matt and I are building those two houses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've severed a wide lot and we're putting in, we're adding uh, one home to Leslieville. I think there might have been bastards. <laughs> Leave Leslieville the way it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, sure. Yeah, I know. But um, so we've added one home there and there's a few other, you know, a few other, other of those in the whole area. We're not adding freehold. There's not much freehold being added anywhere. No. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're the supply side of things where you see people panic sell, um, I, I certainly see the freehold side of things and the value condo market as being safe. Um, yeah, I, like the 600 square foot units. Those are liquid. Those are the first time buyer. If you're buying something and you're looking at market nine, needs 900, $1,000 a foot. And across the street is the fancy one coming in that's fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen hundred dollars a foot. Does that doesn't make sense? What do you there. think the low will be, the low print on a per square foot price of a condo? Not luxury product. Average condo. It's in the thousand. Like you don't think it'll go lower than a thousand bucks a foot? Well, I mean, there's certainly uh, on average for downtown. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to say because you're still gonna have even the luxury stuff with the price decrease will still be high-ish. You, as those new ones come online, that's bringing your per square foot numbers up. You know? But when the, it'll be interesting to see when the appraisals, when these, some of these buildings register, if they come in. They're not. I think this is a time when you're going to have appraisers kind of scratching their chin a little bit and being a little more conservative with... Yeah, you know, the the biggest, you know what the big, biggest line item expense on my mortgage brokerage is? Uh, will be this year Christmas presents to appraisers. <laughs> <laughs> are they envelopes or what are? Yeah, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> you just yeah. got to be nice. You know, it, it, it's like everything else. Like you got to treat. You have to treat. You can't just think you're just like. See that one? Just put picture. Yeah. Sorry. It's like everything else in business, right? You can't just like think like, okay, I am gonna treat my customer really well, but I'm a shitty person. So I'm going to treat everybody else bad and just hammer everybody to get things done. You actually have to just genuinely partner with all of the people around you or else you're screwed, especially in a situation like this. If your appraiser doesn't like you, if the appraisers that you have working with you don't like you and you don't communicate effectively with them, like, Hey, Mr. Appraiser, Ben's buying this condo. He's a great borrower. He's got a young family, got a lot of money. Very safe. We or, need this value and, to be as high and, as possible. Well, and make sure that they understand the kind of um, uh, features of it and what's better about it than the comps. And I may not know that. I don't purport to like know more than appraisers. No. I'm not a real estate agent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, real estate agents aren't, uh, aren't appraisers either. No, but kidding, um, yeah. yeah. An opinion of value. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. no, on your point there on, on only being nice to people that can offer you something, yeah. that drives me crazy. Like real estate agents that aren't nice to other real estate agents, like just because they don't see them as a possible client. This is the kind of person that is walking around seeing humans as like a dollar sign. Yeah. And not generally kind and nice. My buddy Gene McBurney has a saying for people like that. It's like, oh. he goes, he's a really efficient guy. 
he's got friends he hasn't even used yet. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Gene. I met him in Bahamas, right? Yeah. yeah. He's the best. Yeah, nice guy. Real, real efficient guy. Not Gene. But that was a saying. Real efficient guy. Yeah, he's yeah. got friends he hasn't even used yet. Well, it's just, you just be nice to everybody and just be kind to everybody. Yeah. And yeah, some people are going to be your clients. Some people aren't, okay, but we're back, all working together. Back to what I want to get from you. Yeah. The lowest price per square foot. What will a condo hit? And what will a house hit? Well, I mean, it's, I don't think, I think we're almost pretty well there now. Okay. So, so now it's not a thousand. Now it's still higher than a thousand. Yeah. Because like I said, you, you're, it's, it's going to be skewed by that all the new buildings registering are high, high per square foot. No one's building value condos. Right. I mean, they can't. It's way too expensive to build. The levees are way too heavy. It's going to be, it's only going to be on the luxury side from here on. And I think, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to see uh, a time when, um, the bow, I guess the real estate will come down the site costs. That's the only really kind of variable. And we'll see building, building materials come down a bit, but not, not enough that we're ever going to see sub one th- under a thousand a foot ever built again. And this is, um, you know, it makes the argument actually to look for the kind of value condos and 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 do some cosmetic work to them. And if they're across this, if you're buying something yeah. for seven eight hundred dollars a foot, say near St. Lawrence Market or some great neighborhood close to the finance, um, um, Bay Street corridor, um, who cares if the hallway smells like urine? Well, no, but if when you can customize it, you can you know fix it up, and you've got fifteen hundred dollars a foot across the street from me and you're paying seven. I mean, that's, you, this is a time to be looking for value, right? That's, that's how I see it. Okay. But to so, answer your question, I mean, I think that it, I don't think we'll see a huge decrease in, in, in uh, average per square foot pricing uh, because new stuff coming on board is so expensive. Even with a price decrease, it's expensive. Even if we see a correction there, it's still a lot more than what's out there. Um, and on the freehold side of thing, I, I, I feel the same. I think we'll still see average prices holding where they are in the million dollar world. Or It's, 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 it's different though, depending where you look. Interesting. You're right. Toronto seem, does feel insulated to some extent. It's so all over the board. Like I was looking at November to November, year over year. Uh, and obviously we had prices continue to go up and then down or whatever but you know there's georgina township was 25 percent down my neighborhood was 17 percent down your neighborhood yeah like we were cottages you're talking about no the house really 17 percent down yeah that seems like a lot year over year price yeah yep wow yeah i wouldn't even think there'd be that many transactions to i get you know what though not a lot of transactions Highly motivated, and like I said earlier, motivated vendors. And not a lot of really expensive houses. So when you don't have the uh, guy with the three million dollar detached, they haven't traded. He's like, I'm not doing any, any of those. Days. Have sold yeah. recently. November, we saw some sales in Leslieville and Riverdale, and the one five, one six, one seven, one eight. There weren't three, four million dollar houses that had sold in Jackman or you know who our Park. who our borrowers turning into now. Who's that? What our borrower is the the family or you know the individual who has a two to six million dollar home and has a 
50% equity position in it yeah. or more and who by virtue of being unable to qualify for a new mortgage or cognizant enough to realize that it's not a good time to break a low rate fixed in order to get $100,000 to cover additional expenses comes to us for that 100000 bucks. Yeah, you don't have a lot of one-bedroom purchasers coming coming to you right now, probably, right? Listen, there, there are still purchasers. Rent, they can rent it for, like when they're running the numbers, that person that's kind of like got not a university, got their first job, they're started at a law firm or whatever, they're kind of getting it all figured out and they go to a mortgage broker and they work out the numbers that it's going to be 4000 bucks a month to own a one-bedroom condo with maintenance fees and property taxes and interest payment a mortgage payment with a high interest rate rather then uh, then they see the same condo for rent for 2600 bucks yeah it's hard right to make the that, thing is to do that is that math now we did a show on that math thanks so much for being such a loyal uh, follower i do watch all your all your videos <laughs> no but we did mm-hmm. one where we picked a couple of condos oh did you i didn't see and we yeah, exactly that's I what didn't. i'm saying like, oh sorry so yeah. i'm saying it and i didn't yeah, yeah. i should have known that. <laughs> No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we did. How did that work out? It was yeah, that it made no sense. No, right? yeah. it made sense to buy. Like we found, oh. I would say, like Matt pulled out about five of them. I think we did two or three on the show, and because of how high rents are in the city right oh, yeah, now, yeah, because yeah, because the most recent like you rent. just said, twenty six hundred dollars for a one bedroom. Good luck. Yeah, I know. They've, re- they've go really, find one. They've really increased really in the like short term. Liberty Village. It's $30,000 for a one bedroom to start, but and you're having a hard time getting it. But that's still, when they purchase that, will be way more. But it's $500 a foot. You're paying $3,000 a month for $500 <clears throat> a square foot. Now is the time you buy that. And the, but the one thing they also got to think of, and they don't always, is the principal payment, prepayment due there, right? Because they'll, if they just do the math and they go, oh, it's $700. It's forced savings. Yeah. Like it's not really. Right. If it's $700 more a month to, to own it, it's not. You're just saving that money. I mean, yeah. The math that we did on our show was only $192 more a month to own. With the, that's principal and interest in the wow. payment. So it's, you got to think that's like a, 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 it's not a $3,000 a month payment. It's like Joe, Joe Schuster way. Yeah, it's a $2,500 a month payment. $1,200. A month is being is a, is going into your savings account essentially, right? Yeah, you're reducing your debt by twelve hundred dollars a month. And we know that the the you know the the millennials or the youngest professionals are not really much into the saving of money like our you know parents and the generations before Listen, them. I say something. Nobody saved money like my mother. <laughs> Nobody saves money. And like then my she mother. invests it with you too. Yeah. So that says something about yeah. your frugal. She is honestly. Yeah, my my, my mom. I was over there on two nights ago and um, like every month or whatever that I like, I don't go there once a month. I go there like several times a week, but every month or so she will give me a check to put into the the mix. So it was like a $20,000 check. She's like, I have some money in my bank account. I want you to take this check in. And this, I know it was actually on Sunday night that we had dinner there. And I had it in my car and I brought it into the office today. So my mom's going to hear this. She's going to be so pissed. I mean, I'll give you the interest for the difference. Oh, there's a few days days that, yes. But like, she doesn't care about that. It's just that like, 
it is, she is so on, on point with her savings. And like it was GICs before I had the Nick. She would just put the money into GICs. But to, to speak to that, I hope that the savings rate, the kind of <laughs> Zephyrus family savings rate, doesn't continue the downward trend to my kids. Right. Like I hope that I am the anomaly and we can spike back up. That your kids are in order in the best bottle of wine at the restaurant? Yeah. No, I want them to enjoy the best bottle of wine. Okay. But the best bottle of wine isn't always the most expensive bottle of wine. This is true. You got to know. Yeah. Know your stuff. Well, the best bottle of wine is the one you like. Yes. As long as it's not Camus. Yes. That's the worst bottle of wine in any situation. Okay. Overpriced garbage. All right. Write that down. (laughs) Um, On the topic of the Mm -hmm. and you mentioning your mom investing, I I was going to mention that I've been investing with you in the mick has been like the most easiest experience and stress-free experience amazing because i hated investing in the stock market i was unhappy logging in stressed out about about uh you know where it was and this i just thought you know what forget it and i think it's like 10 years now i've been in there with you and i don't even think about it you know what you're going to get in april What's that? The way what we're projecting right now, oh. you will receive the first ever, from what we can tell, the first ever double-digit return of the MIC. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just like all of our so, mortgages are variable rate okay. in the MIC. And couple that with the fact that we have like three very big first mortgage maturities coming back to us. One of them is like a sale that's scheduled to happen on a property anyways so i wanted the other actually the other two are refinances so all this capital comes back in they're in first mortgages because we've been like risk off mostly for the yeah. for the last while yeah like right now uh s- almost 65 70 percent of the fund is in firsts oh wow really risk yeah. off yeah. but we're going to redeploy that money now and we're going to yeah, target that money coming in you've got to and we're going to target that borrower that i was just telling you about this is going to be a lot of the MIC borrower is going to be two to six million dollar home. But they're they're not going to be interested, be interested in paying double digit interest. Of course, they, listen, it's the market. Yeah, there is no one. There is there are very few lenders operating in the market. Right, they don't and have a choice. That's not an unfair rate. Double like a double digit sounds horrible, but you know, with a prime rate of seven percent, what are we at six ninety five? Right with a prime rate at seven percent. Yeah, and a, I know we got to rewire ourselves. Yeah, today, right? Like a variable rate mortgage mm-hmm. is at prime minus fifty, maybe prime minus one if it's insured. Mm-hmm. Risk on on a second mortgage, <laughs> prime minus five is cheap because risk capital is more expensive right now. Like if you think about it like this, if a second mortgage, what's it, what's the price of a second mortgage? What is it? Yeah, what you as a real estate agent, if you if I was like, hey Ben, how much is a second mortgage? Yeah, put me put ourselves in a time machine two years ago. How much is a second mortgage? Two years ago. I don't know, eight percent? Okay, fine. Eight. Yeah. A really, really good borrower, you're between eight and twelve. Right. Okay. Probably on the high end would be twelve. Yeah. Sixteen is like sell your house. Two years ago. Yeah. Okay. Let's use your number of eight. Eight percent two years ago, when the prime rate was two, 
is a delta of six. Yeah, of course. A yeah. premium of six. Well, if prime seven, there's 13. Yeah. Right? So it's, and in fact, the cost of risk has gone up in this period of time. Like, so for- But, but you're saying that you're going to lend to money that have, uh, sorry, to, to borrowers that have 50% equity. And we do right now anyways. In a $3 million house? Yeah. I'm saying that that borrower, stronger borrower, because mm-hmm. there's, but, but our borrowers already have a lot of equity, but the motivation is no longer that they need to fix something. The motivation is like no longer like right now, like bruised credit or insufficient income, and they need to be kind of coached back to, to, to find an exit. The motivation now is very simple. There is a macroeconomic headwind that borrowers are facing and they cannot afford to break their existing first mortgage. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So it is far more profitable. Far, well, profitable is a wrong word. But the debt servicing the spread, cost. The spreadsheet looks a lot better just not breaking that thing. Weighted average cost of capital. At a, and, and keeping it a short-term window. Okay, let's think about right now, okay? Ben Ferguson has a $2 million new build, okay? Yes. And a $500,000 first. You moved in. You took a five-year fixed rate. This is true. A lot of this. One year ago, and it's a five hundred thousand dollars first mortgage at two percent. Yep. But you want furniture, and like you want it to be pimping, and it's going to cost a hundred thousand bucks. And your kids are all over you, like, "Oh my god, Dad, I want a big screen TV," and like whatever. So it's a hundred bucks, and you unfortunately don't have it in your skinny ripped jeans. (laughs) So you got to borrow it. You call us up, and you're like. Okay, I need a new first mortgage. Let's switch the $500,000 mortgage into a $600,000 mortgage. And someone says to you, okay, well, the $600,000 mortgage is going to be at 6% now, as opposed to your $500,000 mortgage, which is at 2%. Or, so let's quantify that, right? Right. You're, let's, like, all things being constant, that 500,000. Something in second position. At, yeah. For a, a 10%. Well, your delta is four points on $600,000, which is $24,000 every single year for the next five years. You just killed your 2% rate. But you only need $100,000. So as long as $100,000 costs you less than $24,000, the numbers work. The numbers work. Yeah. And if you can match the hundred grand to the maturity of your existing first mortgage, and we can do a nice refi at the end, everyone's happy. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So if if I said to you now, okay, the, here's a hundred grand, it's prime plus six. Mm-hmm. It's thirteen thousand dollars a year as opposed to twenty four. I think you want to save that eleven grand. Yeah. And I have way less options. But what I'm saying to you as a MIC investor, yeah, is that because we are now going back into the market for a specific product uh, that I'm very comfortable with, you're going to see great, like better returns with, Mm -hmm. you know, just taking money. Like we kind of had to park money in firsts as like a GIC mechanism, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you had too much cash. You got to keep moving. And no, and I didn't like when inflation was like beginning, when the inflation story was beginning, it really wasn't kind of quantifiable. Like, how, like, where are we going? And my job is to be as risk off as possible, right? Again, yeah. the Mick is for my mom who gives me $20,000 of her savings. Like, yeah. No, I'm a, I'm, like I said, I'm a happy guy ever since I invested in it. And every pop, once in a while, I'll pop on your back end there and your login and take a look at what you guys, what you guys are doing. And that's about it. I'm not trying to uh, overthink it. I'm not, I'm sleeping at night. 
It's you great, know? you know? Yeah. And you know, the other thing, I, I, I like, I, Nick manages all of the investor relations and he's so, like, he's so great, right? So he's, relaxed and... Yeah. He's just like, he's very matter of fact. Um, he's invested also. He's a very smart guy, CFA. He makes sure that the website is updated for people. And I hear people call in, like, not every day, but every couple of days. And I hear him, like, very patiently going through our book with investors. And I just, like, I don't know why I get so much enjoyment out of listening to him, like, walk someone through. Like, a lot of people are asking what questions yeah, about specific properties you're lending on. And honestly, a couple of, at least a few times a month, phone calls are coming in. Since inception, it's actually the number one tool for us to get new investors is the investor portal. Because initially, like when we started the fund 10 years ago, it was like, oh yeah, we return about 8% and we invest in real estate. People were like, what? Like, what do you put it in? How do you get eight? I think like, you had like a, I think you had a little bit of a brochure thing and I was just like, whatever here. <laughs> well, you knew you. me and we've known each other for a long time. <laughs> there wasn't, I didn't look at any of it. Right. I just gave you the money. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> now that investor portal, which has been around for a while now. Um, yeah, it's great. It's such a great tool because people like you will say like, Oh no! This is how I got the return. Like these are the properties that uh, make sense. And I can yeah. look at it, and I even know some of the properties, and yeah. and kind of do a soft appraisal myself. Say, oh, what's going on here? And because obviously I'm in real estate, so it's it's interesting. But it's uh, but I don't lose any sleep over it. It's more like a curiosity. Mm-hmm. Pop in there, see what's going on. Do you ever lose it. sleep about business? No, never. No, I think I think uh, my um, well, I, you know, I just took a year off. Mm-hmm. And I have a kind of like fresh perspective right now. And I'm not saying I ever lost sleep. I'm not a small stuff sweater kind of guy. But when you um, go through serious stuff, it kind of puts things in perspective. Yeah. You start to understand that like you can't sweat the small stuff as cliche as that is to say. It's true. Like you, there's solutions for things. And you can't worry about things that you can solve. You just solve them and you move on. That's what we got to do. Just keep, keep moving and shaking, right? You can't, um, you can't, there's very serious things that we got to worry about. Imminent. Imminent things, our health and our loved one's health and making sure we can provide for our kids and take care of the people that we love. We got to do that. That's important stuff. But you know, struggles that we have with business and, and um, you know, things that we can solve easily. Um, we, why worry about that? There's no reason to. Aren't we like programmed to? Doesn't it seem like sometimes, like now in we retrospect. We put pressure on ourselves because we want to do a good job for people because we're good people. And I speak, when I say we, I mean my business partner, Matt, I mean you, I know what kind of person you are. You put pressure on yourself too because you want to do a great job. You want to keep everyone happy. And that's okay. And that's what keeps us sharp. But you also got to sleep at night, right? You got you to gotta, you gotta sleep at night and you got to uh, you know, take care of yourself and not sweat the small stuff too much. Because when you're in a problem, you, it feels way bigger than it, than it is at the time. Because later you look back always and you say, whoa, that was easy. I just did this and this and it's solved. So you have to remind yourself of that when you're, when you're in that problem that 
you'll be looking at, back at it later. And it's, it's a solvable thing. Just move on. What a great perspective. You know what I mean? Like, so I totally you remind you, if you can continually mi- remind yourself, one, not to take it personally. There's something here that we can solve and move on. And two, that in retrospect, when you look back at these things, it's almost a chuckle at times when there was a, a solution that needed. Just find it. And you're, you're like that. That's absolutely the way you're programmed. No, I, I listen. The reason why I bring it up is I've had so many conversations with friends, like really close business acquaintances, like people that rely on me for not just capital, but like advice. And I do sense um, like kind of like an increase in their level of anxiety lately. Yes. And I, like I, we got to be each other's therapist. I don't know if you realize this. Yeah. I don't know if you realize this. My phone has always been forwarded to the office. I unforwarded it. Okay. In the last like five or six months. I think I told you to do that one day. I said, don't you hate checking voicemail? And you're like, yes, that's smart. Yeah. But yeah, so it's unforwarded. You're answering it. So that if people need me, I'll I'll speak to them right away. Otherwise, it ends up with this buildup of people that have called for me and I know what they want. Like they want like a pat on the back and like, it's going to be okay. This is what I anticipate to be the time horizon of this painful period. And I think that like, like I know everyone's situation, like the people that are calling me, I know what their kind of debt and equity situations are. And I try to reinforce that and remind them and, and get them out of this place of anxiety and dread. And there's so many great quotes, like, you know, Marcus Aurelius was like, anxiety and dread is really the only punishment that we solely stole on ourselves. And we are the only ones that are responsible for it. Nobody else. And we're the only ones that can take it away. It's all a matter of perspective always. Like you can look out the window at your house and you can see the birds chirping and the sun shining or a beautiful sunset. Or you can look out at something not so pretty and, you know. Why is my neighbor's house so much better than my house? Whatever, right? That's the toxic. It's all all a matter of perspective and putting yourself in the right frame of mind. Yeah, That's That's all we try to do. Good Charlie Munger quote is that the world is not being fueled and destroyed by greed. It's actually being fueled and destroyed by envy. Yeah. You, gotta, you do have to be happy with what you have. Yeah. And, and grateful for your health and your loved one's health. And that you have a roof over your head and that we live in Canada. Yeah. And, and I know you have probably global listeners, but at the end of the day, you know, we kind of hit um, the jackpot to some degree that we're here. Yeah. Right. And as yet, much as we complain, not even just here, Canada, here at this moment in time. In time. But modern, like if it was 200 medicine, years ago. Yeah. Say what you will about some of it. And perhaps, you know, you can make the argument that social media isn't the healthiest thing in the world. Or, but. Dude, 100 years ago, if you were walking on the street, you were at risk of being hit by a pot filled with piss and shit. <laughs> no, I know. Can you imagine Modern that? Somebody t- was <coughs> dumping out a pot filled with fecal matter and you were walking down the street. Just, just that we have um, modern toilets and vaccination and, um, you know, everything that goes with modern medicine. You're right. We're in this tiny, I mean, my son's a type one diabetic. Right. hundred years ago, he wouldn't be alive. Yeah. So in the entire lifespan of the, of the homo sapien, whatever, 
diabetics, type 1 diabetics, would just die. Yeah. Unless they really figured it out. But it's pretty darn hard without supplementing insulin. Really? I mean, I don't, I know so yeah. little about the. Yeah. I mean, your pan- their pancreas just stops producing. So you just use a synthetic insulin. But originally it was like animal insulin. And they figured that out at University of Toronto. I read something from here. You sent me something that I read regarding a hundred years. Yeah. They figured that out. They were just sucking insulin out of animals and then putting it into sick kids. And they were like coming back to life. It's amazing that this happened in Toronto. Wow. Right. So at the end of the day, you have to be grateful for those things. And you have to remind yourself of what the important, the really important stuff is. Such a great perspective. And we're going to get by. We're going to get through tough times because we're resilient and strong and smart. Uh, we just have to focus on the, on the important, on the important things and look, look, uh, keep a positive perspective always. Cause this is going to be a short term. It feels, it certainly feels that way. Like when you're in it, it's like being in the bottom of the ocean and it's like, you can't really see what's going on around you. I have a pretty fresh perspective cause I was off for a year, first of all, but you know, when you kind of pull yourself up out of the ocean and you look and you kind of see where everything is, you just think of it as like in the grand scheme of things, this is a pretty short, this will be a pretty short period, in my opinion, that uh, things will be difficult for, you know? Um, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be in a better place. Well, in a year from now, we've decided, right? You, so I've decided. I'm trying to get you. You're saying like two years from now. What do you say? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Next Christmas, are we going out for dinner and celebrating a better economic place or a better Toronto real estate? Uh, listen, uh, 100%. Mm-hmm. I believe that there are probably two dates that are important. I think one date would be the, the best time to enter the real estate market. The first time the interest rates start to go down. Yeah, no. When no. they, when they, I think that, or when they that, say the rates think, are over. Yeah, I think that over. point will be like you can mark it on your calendar. It's the day that the Federal Reserve. It's not even the Bank of Canada. It's going to be cares. the states. That's going to. Yeah, well, whatever. Do they always just mimic what they do? To the for the most part. Yeah. Otherwise, the currencies kind of get out of whack, right? But um, the Federal Reserve will come out and they'll say, "We have, we have." done a sufficient amount to stop inflation and our readings look we're very happy with our readings and we're going to hold the federal funds rate where it is that will be the date to enter the market and the perfect date is like before that because leading up to that date the federal reserve is going to overcorrect by it's going to over increase interest rates if it does anything because it's so worried about the credibility that it lost by saying there's no inflation for such an extended period of time. Like you got to think that there's two crises here. The first most immediate crisis is inflation. The second crisis, which everyone will talk about after inflation is the lack of confidence people have in central bankers. Because what we were told two years ago, three years ago was number one, the easing of monetary and fiscal policy will have no impact on inflation. Number two, when inflation did creep into the market, this inflation is transitory. Remember these things? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Then they came in with, oh, oh, 
we are going to increase interest rates at the fastest, most dramatic as a percentage rate ever in the history to, to stop inflation. Mm-hmm. If they let the foot off the gas, brakes, brakes, if they take their foot off the brakes too soon and ease back on interest rates and inflation somehow creeps back into the market, their credibility is toast. So they're going to overcorrect to the neck. Like they're going to negative. They they would much rather a recession happen than somehow be accused of missing it again. When I, when I break this down from a practical perspective and back down in the trenches and on the streets and what the, the purchaser's mindset, when you say that's the time to enter the market, the problem with that statement is that the uniqueness of the property that you're looking for is the biggest consideration when you make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you're just looking yeah. for a one bedroom condo downtown and you want to buy at the absolute bottom, I mean, there, this isn't the stock market that's just. Fair enough. Fair enough. You're purchasing. Like if you're, if you're looking in a certain school district and you want this and you want a beautiful ravine property like my friend Marcus has, or you want a certain thing, you, you, you have like the process of searching for the property that works for you or your fan, your family isn't one that allows for the thing to just be there available when you've decided that that's when we entered the market. So the, the, the thing that's the right fit for you may only come around every three, six months or a year. And it doesn't come around in the hottest market. You're not going to time it absolutely perfectly yeah, on the bottom. Yeah. And if you buy it, if you buy the house that's, that's perfect for you and you get the price that's perfect for you, and prices keep coming down 5% after, but then they go up 30% in the next 10 years. Who cares? Yeah. Right? It's more about uh, you know, finding the right fit. We know we're pretty close to the bottom right now. And I, I, I feel that way anyways. When we see the November numbers and we we're pretty close to the top of the interest rate increases, we would think. So you know, logic would tell us that I mean, we're probably near the, near the bottom. So if you see the right fit and the thing you've been looking for um, come up, house you've been looking for, the condo, if you have specific needs, you jump on it now. That's how I see it. I, I should apologize because like yeah. when I talk about it, I don't think about like on specific the, yeah. use cases. I just always think like per square foot price of condo and average home sold in yeah. GTA. And those two numbers are kind of like what I'm thinking about. And I'm thinking like, if you are an investor, because that's all I think about. I think about like those averages and how they're going to affect the book value and my ability to lend money and the risk associated with people borrowing. Mm-hmm. So I believe that that best time to enter the market. So as an investor, the sweetest the invest- time the to investors lend- are going to be soft for a while, I would think. Okay. Unless you're making, you know, as an investor, everybody buying their house to live in. Yeah, I mean, I just think uh, like what I'm looking for, what I'm trying to uh, track are the best time to enter in, like thinking of it exactly like a stock market. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm, I'm thinking of it as when is the less, least risky time yes. to lend people money based on the average per square foot price of a condo, the average selling ho- uh, price of a home. Okay? But, but it's kind of making the assumption that it's readily available too when you say that. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a commodity, yeah. the way I'm thinking about it, right? Yeah. It's the average of all of it. So I think that the best time is going to be kind of a little bit before the peak fear of the whole thing will be a little bit before the 
Fed comes out and says, we're no longer increasing interest rates. The other thing is, which I think is soonish, right? I think is within the next six months. It's going to be probably in late winter or something, I would think, right? Early spring. Uh, It will be in the spring. Yeah. It will be in the spring. And I think that like in by the fall, we will have an economy that has degraded sufficiently and we will have an environment where we're talking about decreasing interest rates. And by 2024, the spring market of 2024, I think is going to be gangbusters. One thing to consider, taking it back to like the street level conversation, not the high level Marcus Seferis. I mean, it's not high level. I'm just like, uh, no, is that because we don't have the multiple offers that we, we had for so long, that the opportunities are there because of that to negotiate. Whereas when there was 17 offers on a premium property, I mean, that's pretty, pretty difficult to get, to get a good deal. So there'll be more opportun- opportunities just because of that lack, those, the lack of offers and it being a buyer's market. You know what? Before we go, why don't you tell our listeners and our viewers a little more about how they can find you if they want more information about buying or selling because I can honestly, I will tell you something. Ben Ferguson, I've known him, him and Matt, his partner, for over twenty years, and I, I like I I can't think of a more gracious, honest, but more importantly, intelligent, knowledgeable. Like you know the market, and even if you just like. Buying a house with somebody or selling a house with somebody is a very personal, intimate thing. Like, and you want to do it with somebody that you get along with and that maybe you have something to learn from. And I think anybody that watched this podcast or listened to this podcast learned something from you today. I hope so. And thank you. Even just about, don't sweat the small stuff. Like actually, you know, that. I, I don't know why I felt so calm. I was going to fall asleep like right here. Do you want me to read some bedtime stories? Yeah, maybe after. Let's see how the wine goes. Don't push <laughs> your luck, okay? I can promise you a glass of wine. After that, <laughs> it's up to you. So to answer your question, they can find us. Uh, you just Google Matt and Ben. Um, we are a team that focuses on Toronto, really all over Toronto. Um, our office is in the East End, but we have offices all over the place. Um, and uh, there's Matt. And myself, and Pavel, and Andrew, and an awesome assistant who's Danielle right now, Matt's wife, because Alyssa, our uh, our assistant, is uh, on maternity. Oh, and nice. um, yeah, if you just Google us, Matt and Ben, Remax Hallmark, you'll find us on Facebook and on Google. And I'd love to talk to anybody about real estate. I actually like people and like talking to people. And I think at the end of the day, you and I have that in common. Mm-hmm. You can't fake that. No. There's, you know what I mean? Like People try and fake it. We certainly see that in our business. We're both kind of salesmen at the end of the day, right? Um, but I like talking to people. I'm curious about people. I like hearing their stories. I like going to their homes. So like, you know, it's good that I got in real estate because it would have been creepy going into their homes. I wasn't <laughs> a real estate agent. <laughs> Can you show everyone the Christmas card? Oh, yeah. We are in... Uh, in our pajamas here. Um, How cute is that? Uh, yeah, matching pajamas. I think uh, I think we look great. 
you guys are the cutest. Like you've had some really, really great ones. Have you done matching pajamas with your team before? Uh, with my kids. Yeah, no, the team here. No, we don't need to wear matching pajamas to feel like a family. Like we're like our Christmas party was a dinner and it started getting circled around that like, oh, well, like Christmas party can't start at seven. Like it's too late. Like we should do this. Why don't we do this at five before the dinner? And then somebody else was like, okay, great. But why don't we do this like and start at three and just before the thing? Like, yeah. it's just like everybody wants to spend more and more time That's together, amazing. right? It's great. Didn't yeah. you guys, didn't you take a trip with the gang too to Bahamas or to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, used to yeah. do, before COVID, we did a trip every year. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That you treat your. They home. treat, listen, they treat me. And they stay. And each other. Yeah. No like, one how leaves. long has Phil been working? I mean, 10 years? Well, more. Yeah, more. like a long time. When I was at Dundas, right? So yeah. uh, maybe 15 years. He was at Dundas, yeah. Phil is so fantastic. Every, listen, everybody on the team is amazing. He just brings down the level of stress. If there's, a, if there's just like you do. If there's something tricky in the deal, he, when you talk to him, you feel more relaxed after you do, it, which it, is important. It always works out. Like yeah. You said it. It's it really it's gonna is. work out. And the other thing is, is like I've seen, I've been in so many stressful situations that I can tell you definitively that the lens in which you look at your situation when you are in a stressful it situation totally different. is distorted. Yes. It's like it's, a, it's, a funny house glass. Yes. Right? Like, don't trust it. No. Set at objective. And set your goals and just get through and it. Remember, and remember, there's a thousand other times you were in that spot yeah. that you solved it. And, and you don't even think about those times. Yeah. And rely on, and hopefully you have people that you can rely on to help you with that when you're in that. Yeah. That's the one, like, that's like, I feel bad for the people that are in that situation and they're like, they don't, like, they haven't been in it the first time they've been in something super challenging. And I think more and more people are going to be in this situation where they're in this challenging environment and they might need a bit of help and there's anxiety and there's dread. And we just came out of an, a period for two years where everyone was filled with anxiety and dread. We're going into a new period where everyone's filled with anxiety and dread. Now it was COVID. Now it's going to be debt. And like, not everybody. uh, Fine. Not Not a a lot of people, a lot of people. Yeah. So we, it's important that those people that are perhaps more susceptible to the anxiety and dread that gets created by these stressful situations, find support. It's not just like find a great real estate agent or find a good mortgage broker, but like real actual support. Like, because it's we're a village. We're a village. Yeah, we it's to, a challenging time. Each other up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we lean on each other, we we uh, it just works out better. We're stronger. We are strong. Oh, we yeah, we should be all hugging each other. We're gonna hug right now. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha